Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of this Super Six podcast. I'm Laura Woods and Bioac and Fermat is on his way. He's somewhere, just picture the scene, sweating, running, trying to make this recording. He hasn't quite made the start, but it's fine. He's going to come off the bench in super sub style and help me along with this one. So um, just bear with us until he makes the recording. Our guest this week is the first Everton player to captain England. Really, really excited to catch up with him. It's Phil Jagielka. He's coming on in just a moment's time. A reminder as well, at the end of the podcast, stay tuned because we're going to do our fixtures, our Super 6 fixtures and our predictions for the last remaining round of the Premier League, which is this weekend. I can't believe it. Okay, so we're going to do that in just a moment. Let's go and meet our guest. Predict six correct scores on Super 6 this week for a chance to win £250,000. Download the app and play by 3pm on Saturday. Head to skysports.com forward slash Super 6 for more details. So this week's guest is Phil Jagielka and I'm really chuffed to have you on. Come across you a few times in the world of football and um, it does feel like you've been round a long time as well, Phil. Does it feel like that hey, for you? It does, yeah. Most mornings when I get up to, uh, to get out of training, it feels like I've been uh, hanging around quite a while. Well, let's take you right the way back because, I mean, I'm going to give you the dates. I'm sure you know them anyway. Um, you began your professional career, Sheffield United, 1999, year 2000, and you were 15. That's when you joined. And Neil Warnock was a manager at the time. I mean, what was that like? First of all, to sign for Sheffield United at 15, to start your career in, in a club like Sheffield United and to have a manager like Neil Warnock. Yeah, it was all a little bit of a whirlwind. Uh, funnily enough, I was at Everton at the time uh, when I was 15. I uh, got released. Uh, there was a little bit of a connection between Howard Kendall, obviously Sheffield United and, and Everton. Um, I think they may have got like the the gist of who was getting released a bit earlier. So I went there, I went on trial. Thankfully got a, a three-year scholarship. Uh, moved over to, to Sheffield and then sort of the journey began. Uh, I was doing pretty well uh, playing in midfield in these days, uh, not at the back. Um, I was... At the, at the time, we had um, Steve Bruce was manager then. Adrian Eve took over. He was looking at actually giving me a professional contract. There was there was talks going on between my dad and the club. Unfortunately, he got sacked. Um, Neil Warnock came in, and I'm sure the gaffer won't mind me saying he wasn't known to bring through too many young players. He was all about getting the experience in, getting people to who he knew would do a job, and um, and getting us up the table. Because I think we were struggling at the time financially. We weren't in a great position. Um, but for whatever reason, um, the gaffer decided he wanted a little bit of youth in his team and and, and called me up. Um, like I said, and I'll thank him forever for that. He, he gave me a chance. He he looked after me. Um, many, many good memories over the course of the next sort of six, seven years. And um, it was nice to be given a chance. What was he like? Um, it's really difficult because if you see the person, I'm, I'll still look obviously on social media and you see all the old videos. Uh, all the gifts and stuff when he's a massive part of it and that's sort of the character he is I think off the pitch a, a, a really gentle guy um, you know family man um, loved everyone around him but as soon as he put his boots on or his, his, his tracksuit and ready for training or ready for a game uh, I wouldn't say he came possessed but there was a certain element of that um, and he was a winner he wanted to win games um, he had many different ideas and many different ways to do so and you know was very successful 
I came across him when I was at Cardiff and I went to interview him. This was in their last season. This was just before um, his time at Cardiff came to an end. And I went to interview him at the training ground and, um, and we sat in his office and we set the cameras up and everything. And on his desk in the office were like sweatbands for like around his head and around his, his wrists. And I was like, well, who were those? Because I thought it was like a fancy dress or something. And they were his. And, and he was saying that when all the players go out and train, he goes out and does his own little bit of training as well. Well, yeah, we always, he wasn't always present at sort of every training session. He wasn't a coach. He was a very much a manager. So um, he was obviously into trying to keep himself fit. Um, I'd, I'd never witnessed him, thankfully, in his matching in his matching sweatbands. But I can imagine he'll be some sight. But, you know, fair play to him. Um, he's still going strong. He's still doing a fantastic job. And, you know, he's obviously keeping himself physically right as well as mentally. Do you have any stand-up memories of your time under him? Um, there's a few. Um I think one of the the main ones, like I came on as a sub West Brom away and um, I got put in a near post zone uh, for the defensive corner. The corner's come in, I've gone to head it, someone's got in front of me, flicked it and then the guy scored at the back post. So I'd have only been, I'd have only been 18 at this time. So I've come in, I think we've ended up losing the game. I've come in, I've sat there with my head down and I think it, it felt like anyway for the whole post-match thing he was just shouting at me just shouting at me and I was just devastated and it was it was it was part and parcel of football that time you know I didn't I didn't feel like I was being victimized I was just I was devastating myself but um that let me know that basically you know, I have to take responsibility now I am a man I am part of this first team uh, I won't be given any special sort of treatment because obviously of my age and things and uh it went forward, but there's loads, there's loads of different bits and bobs. I listen to all sorts of podcasts along the way and people have got their own funny stories and stuff like that. You know, he used to get his hair blow dried sometimes. So he'd come there with an umbrella to training because it was raining and then he'd want to get something out of his pocket or talk tactics. So he'd call me to come and stand next to him and hold his umbrella. So that'd be, you know I mean? And then he'd, he often called me his son, pretended I'd been around for breakfast just basically to create that sort of bit of banter. And obviously I'd be sheepish to anything, a young lad and them sort of getting called out for being sort of the the, the, the gaffer's favourite and things like that. But um, no, that created the bond throughout the squad. You know, the gaffer brought in many different types of people, many ages, um, many different bits of experience. And, you know, that's how he brought everyone together. Tell us about some of those characters that you came through the ranks with at Bramall Lane. Um, well, the, the, the lads that I, I sort of came through as, as part of the YTS and Pro was obviously Michael Tong, Nick Montgomery, but players in and around the time, um, we'd brought Rob Koslick in, um, Michael Brown in. These were promising young lads from other teams. Brownie had had a fantastic start at Man City, but sort of dropped off. So we'd, we'd managed to get him on loan, I think, initially, then, then managed to sign him. But um, Wayne Allison at the other end of the spectrum, Stuart McCall, Shorty, uh, Morgs. We had, we had so many different types of people along the way that, that had their own little journey um, or, or at least joining our journey. Some fantastic times. He had about a thousand strikers over the course of the, the six or seven years. That was always a thing that he liked to collect. Uh, maybe they didn't get as much of a chance as they would have liked when they'd come, but uh, 100% he, he liked to collect strikers. What was the timeline? Because even though those dates, it's not a million years ago, but Football looks a bit different now, doesn't it? How do you, how has it changed? Um, how long have you got? <laughs> well, for, for instance, you're obviously aware I've been in goal a few times, and the whole reason I've been in goal is because different amount of subs for one, uh, five subs back in then them days, and he chose not to to put a goalkeeper in one of the five because he didn't think he'd need it. So there's one massive change. Offside rules changed probably a hundred times since since those ones. Um, 
I just think it was obviously a bit more rough and ready. I think, you know, you, you played as you saw, the referee made decisions on the spur of the moment and stuff like that, which which I think created a lot better atmosphere. We had a, a season where we must have had probably 40, 50 games. We got to both semi-finals and the playoff final in the same season. And it just felt like every other Tuesday or Wednesday we had a we had a night at Bramall Lane and it was the other the atmosphere was electric and we were scoring last minute winners to to keep ourselves in the promotion um, push or, or qualifying you know playing against Liverpool Tongi scoring um, those sorts of goals and it, it, you know football just I don't know, I don't, it seemed more simple I don't know if that'd be the word but it was just basically you know less analysis you know we mm. we knew a little bit about the team we couldn't say we knew. Every single player individually, we just roughly knew what pattern of play, what shape they'd play, and and go with it. Whereas now, there is a you know a, a lot more information about every single player, every single penalty that's taken, every single free kick that's taken. We see people lying down on the floor now, underneath the wall. Um, it's it's just you know there's, there's so many different bits and bobs. But you know when you move along the times, you know that's probably the best part of 15 years ago. Uh, I think most things have changed in the last 15 years. How do you, not to go off on a tangent, but how do you pick the person that has to lie down? <laughs> well, we don't do that. Um, I'd presume it's something probably similar to cricket who goes in at silly mid-off or yeah, whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah. It's normally the youngest or the one that's only just been called like the up. the job that no one wants. Because, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, normally you get quite tall people in the wall, so maybe it's one of the smaller players you know, that would end up lying down and, and making, I think they call it a draft excluder now. Is, <laughs> is that, that the, 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 the term that for it? I think so, yeah. Oh yeah. my God, I think we're just going to be joined by Bio and Femma because, you know, this is how he rolls in every now and then. He's a bit late. Bio, are you there? <laughs> I stopped that. Stopped that. Yes, Bio, are we doing you okay? Listen, I'm so, yeah, listen I'm it's been a nightmare with this Wi-Fi. It's been a nightmare. I apologise. Oh, it's all good. Well, look, you're here now and you haven't even missed that much. We've basically gone through the journey at Sheffield United um, and we've come up to the point where we've spoke about the League Cup and the FA Cup semi-finals, playoff final as well. You did eventually get promoted with the Blades into the Premier League. That must have been like that journey to be along and be a part of must have been amazing. What what was it like? Well, it, obviously it was, it, was, it was perfect, you know, getting promoted, especially after going so close a couple of years previous with a the playoff final but the actual start of the season was horrendous we went to China uh, on a pre-season tour and it was the longest pre-season tour ever we didn't get any sleep um, obviously different culture different food we struggled massively everyone was jet lagged for about a week or two afterwards and we were thinking like oh we've got no chance this year but when you get when you play in the championship um, it's all about getting a momentum getting the momentum started early doors staying up there fighting out you're going to lose some games you're going to win some games as long as you're up there for the majority of the season, you've got a chance, you know, come towards the end of May. And that was what it was all about for us. And I think it was pretty much a three-horse race between um, us, Watford uh, and Leeds, I think. And, you know, we managed to, to finish second and, and get promoted with a game to spare. So, uh, you know, I think we just remember driving around Sheffield on, on open-top buses and, and stuff like this. It was just, you know, a, a remarkable experience. Because it is an amazing, like Sheffield is an amazing place, isn't it? An amazing place to have that kind of experience and to give that to the fan base. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a massive footballing city. You know, obviously you've got two massive clubs in there uh, that have been around a long, long time. Probably not doing as well as they would like to at the moment, especially the double relegation mm. for the city. But that's just part and parcel, you know, football. You know, I look back two or three years ago when I'm watching from afar, you know, I'm still at Everton. I'm seeing them go through a similar journey, you know, open top buses, getting winning leagues and... And getting promoted, uh, keeping an eye on it, obviously, because as much as I'm, a, I actually, I'm from Manchester, I'm not a Sheffield lad. But 
when you spend eight years in a in a city and it's given you the opportunity it gave me, you know, you do become attached. So it was it was fantastic to see that. Even better, you know, when Chris Wilder gave us a phone call and said, "What what are you up to? Do you fancy coming over?" And uh, you know, I'll, I'll be ever thankful for him again for giving me the the next part of the journey. Was there any reservations of you going back? So you know, you you did your thing at Sheffield United, went to Everton, and then when you got the call back, was there any reservations thinking, "Oh, you know what? Maybe not." Uh, not at all. Um, like I said, it's got a, a big part to play in my career, and it was something I felt. You know, I went down there, I went to the training ground, met the manager. Not much had changed, by the way, in the changing ground in about 15 years, but that's that's a different story. Um, but, you know, I went there and I saw the positivity and obviously I, I knew the gaffer previously before. I used to clean his boots, funnily enough, um, for a good six months. So we had a good chat and it just felt right. Johnny, you go somewhere again and you're thinking, I knew what, I was having good conversation with them. I wanted to play football, I wanted to keep, you know, playing as much as I could, but also um, I knew this team would have a lot of well, I should say, not a lot of experience in the Premier League. And I thought that was just an expo- uh, important part for me uh, mentally to go there and, and play a part, part if I wasn't going to be playing football week in, week out. And it was for, the, for that season when Sheffield United got promoted and, and finished in the, what, what, was it, what was it in the end? Was it seventh? I think, I think it may have been eighth. We didn't have the, okay. the best post-lockdown. Yeah. But to have that first season back in the Premier League and to be as brilliant as that team were... And I always remember, like, I, I really enjoyed all of the interviews that whenever you come across Chris Wilder, you really enjoyed those interviews because he's a real character, isn't he? And he kind of is, like, uncomplicated and just really honest with you about whatever's going on. And that must have just been, like, your whole team that season must have just been like, wow, this is amazing. Like, for example, I came across him once at a, um, a dinner and it was like a dinner for Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. And I said, um, I said, God, you're doing all right, aren't you? And he and he was in a jokey way. He went, piece of f- isn't it? <laughs> and it really made me laugh. And I just thought, that's just him all over. But that first season was amazing. Well, yeah, we we spoke before about just we, we got a draw first game of the season. Second game at home, we won four points in two games. And we managed to just build on that. We weren't amazing. We we managed to draw quite a few away games, which kept us sort of head above water. Then before you know it, you win one in two, one in three, and then you're in a good position. And you know, confidence was high, fans were there, you know, the atmosphere, everything was everything was smooth and and going positively. But um, you know, the Premier League's not that simple, and I think everyone knows that. Um this year's a bit strange. There's been a you know, a lot of away results, a lot of, you know, totally different things to stats to what I was previously but um, no that's what Sheffield was about and unfortunately for us we've just struggled ever since you know we've come out of lockdown it's just not clicked and, and we've paid the price So you got the experience um, of the Premier League so you know when you got promoted and, and be honest with me though Phil yeah was you a bit weary in like the, the style that you lot played would work in the Premier League like you had overlapping centre-halves and that so would you be thinking, well, oh, you know what? We can't do this in the Prem. Or was you just like, you know what? It is where it is. We'll see. Because I ain't going to lie. I watched in the champ. You man was just duppying up the champ. And then I was thinking, nah, they can't play the same way in the Prem. But you did and you ended up It wasn't eight. quite a term I used, but yeah, I was thinking exactly what you were thinking. Especially, yeah, yeah, you know, especially, especially pre-season <laughs> when uh, I had to play on the road a few times. We had a, we had a pre-season game away. Um, where was it at now? 
at Burton, I think it was, and I'd make a couple of overlaps. I just looked across to the manager. He, he literally started laughing his head off at me. He had to say, Jags, just just calm yourself down. You can see it. Like, he sort of gave me a little, you know, a mutual, mutual. Am I still doing this? I was stuck at it, so that was cool. But um, no, I had I had a chat. And obviously, the way I'd been brought up and obviously in the Prem, it was always about securing, make sure there's a safe line behind. Obviously, what's going on there, you can't affect as a centre-half. If they get the ball, you've got to think if, what, you know, where's everyone going to be? How do you stop them from getting a counter-attack? How do you keep our attack going and stuff like that? But there was all of a fresh sort of um, innocent to sort of the, the, the manager, um, Alan, mm-hmm. Neely's assistant, to basically, well, we're going to put that much into going forward that we will, I won't say take a risk, but we will, we will play that hand and we will get more going forward than we will countered on coming back and there were certain games where we maybe got a bit lucky where Dino uh, pulled us um, you know he pulled some fantastic saves off and we managed to keep clean sheets but in the end I think teams didn't really know what to do because they weren't expecting a team like Sheffield United who were favourites to go down I wouldn't say to be so kamikaze but I think there'd be a certain element of you know we'll do what we do and see where it takes us and it did work for a while and you're right after lockdown it's sort of it seemed to hit you. I remember it was the Aston Villa game, wasn't it, where the goal wasn't awarded because yeah. goal line technology didn't work that day. And it actually felt like that took quite a toll on on Chris because I remember seeing him in a few post-match interviews and he was still mentioning it. And I was thinking, oh no, is that kind of, like, how much did that sort of affect your team? Well, massively, because I think at the time, obviously we were safe. We were safe by February and, and there was other targets for us to go for. And I think, that's what kept us going and kept us going so strong. You know, our target was to make sure we win this division next year. Then once we'd done that, we needed a new target. And I think once that goal wasn't given and there was still time for us to score another goal, but, you know, it's not happened to anyone else since that technology's been mm-hmm. brought in. And for me, there was other technology that could have proved the ball was over that they could have used. So it wasn't like we've only got one bit of technology so that didn't work. So unlucky. There was still enough time for Hawkeye or for someone to look on it. Do you know? Do you know? Well, I think once there wasn't yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Never had more technology. But um, I think once that I wouldn't say it was taken away, but once it was give that was given up, there was sort of like, well, what is? There wasn't. There wasn't obviously an open conversation about it. But I think most people think what is left for us to sort of go for, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you know, the weather got hotter. There was no fans. It was a strange environment. We'd had not much time off. We were now playing football in June, July. Do you know, it, every aspect of it just didn't seem normal. And, you know, we did suffer. Of course, you play at the highest level. Like, tell the people, because I've touched on this throughout this podcast, throughout this season, how much, and of course, you can see from the results, I guess, how much of a loss or a big difference is fans not being there, especially for a club like Sheffield United? It's huge. You know, it, it can seem like an excuse, but I think if you ask most teams, They've they've missed it massively. I think um, you know we've just played my old team at Everton. They've struggled with their home form as well. And I think if you if you class the two clubs, you know it's a it's a great atmosphere. You know the pitch is close to the fans. They they can they, they can create a positive and a negative vibe either way. And it and it's what football's there for. You know you'd never imagine playing in a, such big stadiums that were totally empty. And it having to mean something, it was literally like it was a practice. They do feel like practice games. You don't know where you are in the game. You kick off the game before you know it's half time. There's no, there's no emotion anywhere that lets you know 
the state of the game or what's going on. And same again, second half, normally last 10, 15 minutes, one way or the other. One team's nervous because they're holding on to a lead or the other team's super excited and they've got fans behind them that are egging them on to, to either come up with a winner or an equaliser. There's literally nothing. And I know, obviously, we're all supposed to self-motivate you know, each other and get each other through it, but you and I both know, Bayon, it's, it, it's not about that. It's, it's about the whole experience of the 90 minutes that are played and should be played, on the, obviously, in front of fans. I can say this now, and I, I so agree with you, because I believe if Wickham had fans this season, we wouldn't have got relegated. I mean, we got relegated by a point, and it's and you've touched on it, because I know some people will be listening and saying, well, you get paid and you should want to do it for yourself. And we do. Don't get the game twisted. We do. But energy is so contagious. And what fans do of just feeding off both. And we discussed afterwards, I miss getting booed. I miss the chance just because it just evokes or revolts a, 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 an emotion in you either way. And sometimes that you, you need that. Saying that, you don't need coaches. You know what I'm saying? If you just need to self-motivate, you need coaches to be able to make you do that little bit more. Same with fans. And I'll I put that quote out. Wickham had fans this season, was still being a champ. And that's, I just, fans are just integral, man. Well, you, you were into the championship season, obviously probably one of the lowest budgets. But one of the things you did have going for you, obviously, is your team spirit and your stadium, your fans, the, the, host- the hostile atmosphere that people should have to go into. And like you say, when you're coming on and stuff and the fans roar or like when you come on away from home, you're getting booed or whatever, it does create, it creates something and, and it does, I don't know if it, it creates adrenaline or not, you know, I don't, I don't 100% know, but there is something that, that goes through your yeah. body and even it goes through your teammates as well. It's like, yeah, yeah, we have got a chance. Oh yeah, we're going to do something. Whereas you come on and all you hear is, yeah. you know, because you've got like yeah. literally three subs yeah. clapping you on or clapping you off or, or the manager. It, it, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like you're playing for anything. Um, but obviously, I understand why, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, it's been a horrendous year, you know, and we, we shouldn't be feeling sorry for ourselves in that respect. It's just been, like I say, it's just been a difficult uh, emotionally playing you football. You to kind of speak as you find, though, to be in your own circumstance with this because it's, it's a... I've felt like this for the last however long we've we've been in COVID. You almost feel guilty about saying how it's affected your own life because you feel like there's always someone that's worse off, which is which is life in general. But when when you're talking about football, that is how it feels. Like even from from my perspective, when I sit in the stands and there's no fans around, I remember for the first few months when we were doing it, I was thinking, look, it'll be fine because next season it's back to normal. And then as soon as this season started and it became really apparent that it wasn't going to be back to normal for a really long time. I almost was like, oh, I don't know if I want to be here. You know, these kind of environments, it's, it's, it is completely different. And people will go, oh, you're lucky to be in the stadium in the first place. And you're kind of like, well, I know that. And then you feel like you're, you're kind of justifying what you're saying. But but I, I don't know how it feels to play that game in front of absolutely no one. But I know what you mean about it. It's almost like a sterile atmosphere, isn't it? You, you do pre-season games. And no one really likes pre-season games or pre-season games. To so get them out of the way, get yourself sort of fit and ready for that electric atmosphere first game of the season <laughs> to do well we've obviously got 38 Bayo's got a lot more is it 46 how many seniors <laughs> I could not tell you but my body thinks 110 you get me <laughs> to have that many pre-season effect sort of games you, you yeah. can't get there and they say we've all been brought up with with playing with fans you know if this happened for another 10 years and fans weren't allowed in I'm sure the 
the people eight years from now would, would find it the norm and it would be normal football and whatever, but mm. it's not normal for us and, and it has been hard. Mm. It is 46, by the way, by in the championship. <laughs> there we go. I knew that. I knew yeah. that. I just, I thought he said, how, what did it feel like? Oh, you know, that's what I just want to, you know, <laughs> I, so, talking about like numbers. All right. So you're 39 in August. I am. Yeah. So I just turned 30. So I just turned 39. Talk to me about a couple of things I want to know um, from you. How much do you think the game's changed from, not someone you started because that was a little while ago, but how much has changed? <laughs> We're the same age, <laughs> yeah, so don't get it twisted. <laughs> so how much do you think the game's changed and how are you feeling? Body-wise, mentally-wise, how are you feeling? Um, well, we can start with bo- body and mentally. It's it's difficult. It's been a difficult season mentally to to watch on and obviously the struggle we've had. Uh, physically, I feel, I feel fine. I feel pretty much no different to what I did three, four, five years ago. Um, I've not played too many back-to-back-to-back-to-back games where obviously that's where you know um, that gives you a proper test of how you can get over, recover and go again. Uh, but every time I've played, yeah. I've got through it. Um, I've played quite a few 90s and, and felt okay the next day. So I'm still ready to continue. Uh, I'm not sure where that will be or if that will be. That's a case of what's this space. Um, we'll have to just wait and see what goes on with that. As far as the game goes... Wickham need to set them off. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, just throwing that out there, big man. You'll have, to, you'll, have to put, you'll have to put a good word I got you. Me. We're repping for the old boys yeah. out here. <laughs> as far as what's changed, other than the fact it's not black and white anymore uh, since we started uh, Bayo, But um, football, <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think with um, VAR and no fans... It's been horrendous. Well, I don't know. Well, I can't really say. I've not scored a goal. I know you have, Bayo, but it's not had the um, the VAR in, in the champ. But I'm saying it just doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. We score a goal now. It doesn't and feel it's right. Like, hey, it doesn't. Let's just wait. Look for a screen. Everyone does something <laughs> different. And and it it it's just. I remember like scoring goals, and I'm thinking like. I feel like an idiot because I wouldn't know how to celebrate and but you'd be buzzing and you know so many things that go through your head. But you score now and it's literally like scoring in training. It's like, yes, okay, we'll start now, run back to the centre circle, get the ball, wait two or three minutes. Is your toenail offside? Is it not offside? Um, So for me, it's really tough. You know, no fans, VAR without, I don't think we use it properly. The lines are mental. Some of the lines I've seen, I just, honestly, (laughs) it's, I think if, if you can't see the guys offside within five to six seconds of looking at it first time, I think most managers would say fine. I think VAR should be helpful for the one where the guy stood two yards offside and you've, and something's gone wrong or he's made a really good run and he's 100% not on uh, offside. I think they're the ones that VAR... I think if you spoke to every single manager at the top level and said, look, if, he's, if his elbow is offside or his knee or his toe or, or, his, or his bum or the back of his head is offside by an inch, we're not going to give it. Or we, you know, like, I think everyone would accept it, so... Football sounds really negative now. They're the negative side. The, the, the positive sides are the abilities that the players have got now, the speed, the power, the pace, the pitches we play on. Everything else that you see there is is amazing. And um, I am actually really looking forward to the Euros. Not 100% sure what's going to go on with the fans and all sorts with that. You know, we've missed out on a, on a big tournament for a while now. So uh, as far as football goes and as far as our next generation of, of superstars go, it's it's a really positive time to be an Englishman and a, a positive time to be involved in football. All right. So with all the experience like you've gathered, you've gained two questions. So the young boys that's coming up in, you know, the Sheffield United and dealing with it, how do you help them? And were you going to coaching? 
I've always I've not done my badges. I've never took my badges. Well, a because I'm lazy, but b because I've always said to myself, um, as long as I'm playing and I'm actually preparing to play most weeks, I didn't want to sidetrack that by thinking about the coaching side of it. It's an excuse and a, a valid one at that. But I think it's one that's kept me going for as long as I had. I think if I'd have given up, I wouldn't say given up. If I'd a part of me would have given up the playing thought process, either the body or the mind would have given up on the pitch, and then I'd have been I'd have been in the coaching side a bit earlier. Everyone's told me I'm an idiot because the best facilities and the best way to do it all is whilst I'm still playing. I think I'd like to have a little go at coaching. I think if I continue to play football next year, I might make the transition of playing and potentially looking at doing my badges or at least starting them. But um, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. I think it's just it's another challenge that I quite like. I think over the course of the last probably two or three years, I've, I found it a bit easier to speak to, like I say, to the young lads to, to add my bits in you know, um, post-match, pre-match, you know, commentary, you know, with the, with the, with the staff and, and things like that. So I feel a bit more at home talking about it and doing it. And I've had positive feedback, you know, from players that I've, I've done it with, you know, not just young lads, but actual lads that have probably played two, 300 games. You know, as you can tell, I can talk and talk and talk. So it's uh, quite easy to do so. <laughs> it's a good thing, mum. It's a good thing. <laughs> I was just going to say, you're you're both 39 and you're both still playing the game and you've just spoken about how different the game is now and about how much more talent there is coming through. I just think it's it's amazing that you're both still playing. Like, I still, I know that's not, it's just a statement. You don't have to react to it. I just well, think he's great. playing in the Prem. So, you get me? So, like, <laughs> I'm saluting him. And I, I haven't said my piece yet because I came in late. But yep. real talk, Phil, real talk from somebody who's we're the same age and and, and I honestly I've got the, the highest respect for you still playing at the highest level so you know whenever they do stats and that and they say who's playing here and you're always there at the top level so real talk be proud and I know you already are but I just wanted to say it salute man what you're doing it's 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 big man because I know what it takes man yeah it's it is difficult but at the same extent we're lucky aren't we we're lucky we're able to to roll out of bed take about 100 steps to get to the toilet in the morning because you're a little bit stiffer. And yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. And then slowly by about midday, your body's actually working properly. And then by about two o'clock, you're ready for an afternoon nap. So yeah, we're all in exactly yes. the same place and, and where you go. But um, like I say, we're lucky enough that people have still give us opportunities um, at our levels and to, to be able to do so. Um, it's not easy. I'm not going to sit here and, and say I'm cartwheeling around and doing loads of yoga and I can... I can do backflips and stuff like that, but you know it's something we both love to do, and you know I'm going to try and look to continue, and I'm sure you are the same. Now we've spoken about Sheffield United quite a lot, but I want to talk about your time at Everton as well. So you signed in the summer of 2007. You had a number of Premier League clubs that were interested in signing you. West Ham was one, Wigan, Bolton, Leeds. Why well, West Ham, I think you'd understand why I couldn't do the West Ham one. I think um, I'd, I think yeah, well obviously Is there was a Car- do- Carlos Tevez and Mascherano ordeal, wasn't there? I think if I'd have gone straight. Let's, no, let's just let's just let's leave that one. Um, yeah, tell 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 what wait what happened? What what happened? So, um, obviously, it was we were the Premier League. We were struggling for most of the season. We we felt like we'd done enough. I think we'd beat West Ham probably two games to go. I scored actually, and we thought we'd done enough. Now they've got Manu last game of the season. Surely they can't go there and win. And we were playing Wigan, and Wigan was one of them awful. Well, a bit like the. Last game of the season, you had uh, Bayo when two or three teams are still in, in, involved and two of them are playing each other like Derby and Sheffield Wednesday. We had was in Wigan. Unfortunately, Numbnuts uh, gave away a penalty which ended up um, costing us. Um, 
farm ball. We hit the post, we did all sorts. And it was just one of those feelings. You you hear that West Ham were winning away at Man U. But um, there was just a sort of bit of taste in your mouth. You know, they'd, I wouldn't say they broke the rules. They'd bent the rules quite a lot, you know. Um, they, they, they didn't own yeah. two of the players. The agent owned them and sort of struck a deal with West Ham and, and then two of them played. And let's be honest, Tevez, who went on to have an amazing career, Mascherano, again, amazing career. So these were two players where realistically, no disrespect to West Ham, I don't think would ever have been able to afford to have had on a sort of a level playing field. But they, they found a way of doing it. They got away with it. And um, we ended up going down on goal difference. So um, I reported back for pre-season that next, the first day of pre-season. I got a phone call. I think it was Alan Kirbishley on the phone. And he was... Uh, he was saying he'd love to have me there, but probably understands if if I couldn't. You know, I was captain of the club at the, at the time, captain on the pitch. You know, I'd come through the youth and all sorts. I couldn't. I'd have been probably spitting in most Sheffield United fans' faces if I'd have gone um, to West Ham. So, um, mm. you know, I was always very keen on obviously being a northerner, staying up north, having Everton. Everton had had a fantastic season. and just think they one season before nearly qualified for the Champions League. So, um when they came a knocking, um, it was an easy decision. Funnily enough, the club, I knew how to get there. I'd been there as obviously a young lad and, and deemed not good enough. So it was nice to go back there with a, with a little bit of a gritty my teeth. I see. You know what I love as well? When you hear stories about the decisions players have to make or go through and just because of your love for Sheffield United, it was like, look, West Ham, good club, you know, good deal for you, but listen, I'm not going to do it just because it don't sit right with me and the club and out of respect. And, you know, I think sometimes people don't see that like, or don't hear that, you know what? Nah, man, listen, I'm going to leave them. And, but at the same time, I'm going to show my respect by going somewhere else just because of what happened. For me, I think that's wicked. And I think sometimes like people don't hear enough of these stories. They always talk about footballers are selfish and it's, but that for me right there, I think that's beautiful, man. Well, that's just, you know, obviously the way I've been brought up at, I've always had a, a love for Sheffield. They gave me a chance. You know, that's a lot of people weren't prepared to give me that. Um, like I said, the journey I've been along, there's been many people that have, that have helped me out along that way. And, and Sheffield as a club, obviously, have played a massive role. Same with Everton. You know, there was probably opportunities where potentially I could have tried to force a move and stuff like that. But I also realised what they, what platform they gave me, you know, to go on and, and be an international footballer. So um, I think you've got to be grateful for for the what's going on in the present rather than sometimes looking looking too far ahead in the future and, and trying to grab things that maybe you shouldn't do at the time and, and, and regret in the future. Some of those managers, so you played under David Moyes, Roberto Martinez, Ronald Koeman as well. Who do you think brought out the best in you and why? I think David Moyes would have to be. Um, I got there. Um, I didn't play in, instantly. I played in a few positions, man-marking people in midfield, right back. Then eventually... Um, you know, the African nations came just after Christmas and we lost Joseph Yobo to uh, to that competition. So there was a spot sort of available um, at centre-half. So I managed to get in there, have a few good games and I'm pretty much secured a place there. But um, as much as I'd grown up as a man, from a boy to a man at Sheffield, coming obviously as a 15, 16-year-old into Neil Warnock's um, style dressing room and, and, the, and, the, and the characters around there, um, I was now in the best league in the world and the pressure was on. You know, I was... I wouldn't say I was guaranteed to play at Sheffield, but I was one of the first names down, you know, whereas I'd come to Everton now and I wasn't even, you know, in the first team sheet. So it was a case of different 
different thought process and had to get myself in there. So uh, managed to get in there and, and stay behind. And then we had some fantastic, you know, cup runs, some fantastic positions in the league. And as I said before, it allowed me to to make my international debut and, and, and get a few caps. All right. So I want to ask from a player, player's point of view. So you left Sheffield United to go Everton. When did you realise that, or, or did you realise that the level or the step up was like, oh, raw training that these are some players here like you said you were first name on the team sheet so when you went to Everton, he's like oh yeah oh, like, i've got to yeah. step up my game 100 um you turn up for training and you are a little bit in awe um the same time i signed it was the, the, the transfer window we had which was pretty good business in the end was me leighton baines um yakubu and stephen pinar the previous Ooh. previous one i think was tim kale tim howard phil neville I'm not too sure. So that was like the, the last two transfer windows, obviously, with some sort of big names in there and all sorts. And uh, Andrew Johnson, I think. And um, you step up then, you're like, oof, okay. So uh, boxes, you know, you do the boxes, you'd be thinking, please don't get in, please don't get in. Do you know what I mean? You're getting in, people are nutmegging <laughs> you, thinking, oh my gosh. It took, it took me back to being 17, 18 again with the first team. It was almost going back a few Jeez. years. But then, such a good bunch of lads you'd obviously get used to it and then you'd have to earn your stripes again you know it's just the way it goes I was now 23 yeah. 24 and I had to earn my stripes again which was something you, you look at as maybe looking like a bit of a negative but not at all it was a case of like resetting your focus going again and um that's the way it was and as soon as I got in the team um you know you you you're walking a bit taller a bit prouder and all sorts of confidence has grown and obviously when the team's doing well um for you keeping other people out of selection um rather than being, like you say, a little bit more guaranteed to play is, is, is a different buzzer totally again. You talked about some of those high points, about the cup runs and things like that, about some goals perhaps that you scored. 2014, September, a 30-yard volley against Liverpool. Sorry, Bayer, to bring it up. We said we wasn't going to talk about this, man. Really we did, sorry. man. Sorry. But it was pretty special. 91st minute of the Merseyside derby. That's like, it, surely that's like one of the peaks. Yeah, obviously an iconic moment for me and, and all the, the Everton fans. Uh, quite a lot of Liverpool fans as well now uh, come up to me and sort of half curse me a bit like <laughs> Bayo have. But um, look, Bay, you've, you can't say anything. The, the derbies I'd played in over the years, you'd had about an 80% success rate. So <laughs> you've got to give me at least one sort of miss it shot from 30 yards. Come on, give, give me something. Yeah. <laughs> Phil, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on this week. I feel, listen, I've showed you nothing but love. I do not retire. Make it to 40 and we'll have a retirement party together next year. Oh, gosh. Good luck for the rest of the season. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. There you have it, Phil Jagielka, an excellent guest. Always really, really good to catch up with and talk to. Uh, sorry as well that Bio Akinfenwa had to leave. Um, he just flits in when he likes, flits out when he likes. But you can do that when your name is Bio Akinfenwa. So uh, he will be back next week with me uh, for one more episode. Now, we're going to do the Super 6 fixtures for round 57. I've got them in front of me now. All Premier League, as you'd expect, because it's only the Premier League going now. So um, first one is Manchester City against Everton. Despite the fact we've just been big and Everton up, I'm actually going to go for a City win because I think that loss to Brighton really hurt Pep. I think they'll want the momentum back for the Champions League final so I'm going to say 2-0 to Manchester City for that one. Uh, next it's Wolves at Molyneux hosting Manchester United. I did watch Wolves actually against Spurs and they struggled quite a lot so I'm going to say Manchester United are going to win this one 2-0. Sorry Wolves fans. Next one is Villa against Chelsea. 
Chelsea, again, I think they're going to be on a roll as well. They want to secure that top four finish. So I'm going to say Chelsea are going to win this one 2-1 against Aston Villa. Then you've got Leicester Spurs. I'm really struggling with this one. I've thought a lot about it and I can't split them because, again, I've seen Spurs play recently against Wolves and Deli Alley was brilliant. They had lots of really good players. Hoiberg was really good on the pitch that day as well. Leicester just losing to Chelsea. Oh, it's really hard, but I'm actually going to say a draw here. I'm going to say it's high scoring 2-2 draw between these two teams. Then you've got Liverpool taking on Palace. That one I'm going for a 2-1 win for Liverpool, finishing off with Arsenal against Brighton. Brighton can sometimes be a bit of a bogey team for Arsenal, but I'm staying strong for Arsenal. I'm going to say it's a 1-0 win for Arsenal at the Emirates last game of the season. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Get involved if you want. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Super6. Big thank you again to Phil Jagielka and Abeo Akinfema. Remember, you can hit the like and subscribe button if you're enjoying this. And we will see you again next week for the last one of the series. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs>